Hey, Jericho. Hey. How exciting was last week? It was so good. Roxanne Gay's interview was so interesting and cool. This week we have Gwyneth Paltrow. Can you believe it? No. I'm excited. I can't believe it. But first we need to talk about ZipRecruiter. Remember when I recruited you? Yeah. I tried for years. Actually, you really did? You I, stoked me like I, a crazy person. I tried a nasty gal. I followed you when you were working for a fashion publication unit. I wish I had at that time. Yeah. ZipRecruiter. Why? ZipRecruiter is different. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 job sites with just one click. Their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anybody else. And instead of the candidates coming to you, ZipRecruiter finds the candidates. So over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. A day. 24 hours is a day, right? Yeah, that is a day. Oh, would you say 12? (laughs) No juggling emails or calls to your office, resumes without cover letters. Mm -mm. Uh, Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right. For free, just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash girlboss. That's Z-I-P-R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R dot com slash girlboss. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long, we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss Media, and this is Girlboss Radio. Coming up on today's episode of Girlboss Radio, you're going to hear a conversation with the incredibly smart and talented Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth was born into Hollywood royalty, the daughter of Hollywood producer-director Bruce Paltrow and Tony Award-winning actress Blythe Danner. So it's no surprise that Gwyneth ended up being an actor. I grew up sitting on the floor watching my mother rehearse plays, and she was so in her element, and she was so feminine and powerful and imaginative. And I mean, it was indelible. It was so inspiring. And so I wanted to do that. But perhaps it was a surprise when she decided to launch women's lifestyle brand Goop, which started as a weekly newsletter where Gwyneth could share her unbiased travel recommendations, recipes, and shopping discoveries with friends, while getting some of her own questions about health and mindfulness answered at the same time. I had this dream of building some kind of lifestyle something. And because I love to cook, I love to travel, and I love to explore new things. And I had no idea how I would get there. And so I just sort of started with this naive kind of earnest newsletter. Now, nearly a decade later, it's a household name and a polarizing one at that. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the criticism. And man, there's been a lot of negative things said about her and Goop. We've had like a couple months 
where it's just been brutal. You're almost like, well, this just isn't about us because we're very clear about what we're doing. We're, we stand behind everything we do. Some of the feedback is valid and a lot seems to have a pointed agenda behind it. And he can't help but wonder if the same style of vitriol would be leveled at a man running a similar company. I had a couple days over the last three months where I was like, fuck it. This is so deeply unfair. And I wish that people would actually like read the article or do their homework before they are vitriolic about it. You know, because a lot of times it's not even addressing like what's on the website. We'll explore all of this and get Gwyneth's take on both the controversy and her journey to this point. And we'll also find out from Gwyneth what's next from here. But first, I'd like to invite my partner in crime to the stage, editorial director of Girlboss Media, Jericho Mandiburk. Jericho. Hey, mate. Thanks for traveling down Wilshire Boulevard to find us here. I always get motion sickness on the way here. Yeah, so take these sweet suburban route past these like really nice houses. Because you you're not the one driving. Yeah, I'm in the back. Have you ever driven a car? I went for my like driving test once, but I kind of like went through the intersection when I was supposed to be waiting for the other cars and I failed instantly. Oh. I want to talk about something a little bit risque. Mm. pornography. That's okay. Do you talk about your porn watching habits or lack thereof with your friends? Um, Not really. On Goebbels.com this week, we're talking about how open or maybe not open women are about talking about how much they watch porn. Because depending on what studies you read, the results are like crazy different. So in women's magazines, it's like, oh, you know, 40% of women um, watch porn like every week. And then According to like other survey results, which interestingly, it's like 8% of women watch porn at all. So I'm not a sociologist, but what that tells me is that women are watching porn, but they're not necessarily admitting to it. It's kind of personal. It's super personal. (laughs) But also like, I don't know if guys think it's that personal. They talk about it a lot. So we talked to four women mm-hmm. on girlboss.com mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. about their relationship with porn. Tell me about it. One woman was like kind of more conservative and she was like, I really worry about the women in the porn, which, you know, is valid. But then another woman was like, she would probably say that that was a bit like slut shaming and she was more like, no, we need to destigmatize sex work. And then, you know, the industry will be better, like the standards will be better and we won't have to worry about anyone because everyone will be respected. So I'm in that camp. I mean, people are treated like shit and groped in offices. So mm-hmm. you know that no matter how legal or regulated something is, there's always going to be people misbehaving, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think that the women in porn need as much like respect and support as possible and then hopefully the standards will be raised of like the porn itself as well as their working conditions and, you know, I mean, everything. It's just kind of common sense to me. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it was really interesting hearing from them and also it reminds me it's kind of not addressed in the article, but, um, you know, John Ronson? Uh, Do you no. know who that is? Okay, so he's I know like, that name. Yeah, he's like this British author and he's really clever and he has a podcast too and he was talking about how the SEO search results kind of world of porn and how it's changed porn so much. So like it used to be they had really cute and creative titles mm-hmm. like in the 90s and now they just have like SEO titles and the, the industry is suffering because of the internet basically. Like it's less like whimsical it's less whimsical like it used to be like he was talking about one called women of influence and yeah now it's just like random words stuck together like cheerleader orgy milf 
like there was a day Edward Penis Hands. <laughs> Edward Penis Hands is like a classic. And the cover of it, you can look like you can Google it. It's really cute because it's literally gross. got the can makeup you, and everything. That's like a five-year-old's Thanksgiving turkey project. Like nobody, that's it's not gross. Not even I don't even think guys would be into that. Do you have any other good porn names? Just while we're at it, I'm thinking girl boobs. <laughs> Girlboobs.com. <laughs> You've got that right. No, we, we I should. It. I can should. We buy it? Side project. That's my third so business. New hustle. <laughs> yeah. Jericho, thanks for that enlightening conversation. We're going to jump to a word from our partners now. Awesome. We're here to talk about Wink. Wink has been a partner on Girl Boss Radio for such a long time. I feel very fortunate to have them as uh, one of our partners. They are an incredible wine delivery service. So with Wink, you can take a quiz about your wine palette Wink will recommend really interesting wines customized to your palate, and they are shipped directly to your door every month. So none of your time is wasted running to the store or building up your biceps or traps carrying too many wine bottles. You get to keep your demure figure uh, having wine delivered right to your door. Um, And no guesswork on what's inside or behind that pretty label. You can join for free. You can skip any month mm-hmm. and cancel any time, and they have a 100% satisfaction guarantee, so you never pay for a bottle that you don't like. And you want to know what Wink is offering now? Yes. Right now, Wink is offering listeners $20 off your first order when you go to trywink.com slash girlboss. That's T-R-Y-W-I-N-C dot com slash girlboss, and they will even cover the cost of shipping those heavy bottles directly to your front door. That's trywink, trywink.com slash girlboss to get $20 off your first order now, plus complimentary shipping. Trywink.com slash girlboss. So last week, we pronounced M.M. LaFleur as M.M. LaFleur, and it's actually not M.M. LaFleur, and it sounds so much better with your accent. So every time I talk about M.M. LaFleur, I'm going to have you say it with your Australian accent because it just sounds so much better. M.M. LaFleur. Right? M.M. Lafleur is a women's workwear brand whose mission is to take the work out of dressing for work. The best way to experience M.M. Lafleur <laughs> is through their bento box. So basically, you get a personalized box with four to six wardrobe items. So dresses, skirts, tops, knits, and a few accessories that a M.M. Lafleur stylist handpicks just for you. And once your bento arrives, which is what they call the box that comes in the mail with your pre-selected items, you have four days to try everything at home before they even charge you. So it's like having a fitting room in your home and not having to walk around the awful floor of the department store and then getting locked out of your dressing room and then finding fuzz bunnies. Shipping is free both ways with M.M. Lafleur, And it's not a subscription service. So there's no commitment. To try a bento, visit www.mmbento.com. That's www.mmbento.com. Shipping is free both ways and there's really no commitment. And now I'd like to introduce you to a friend of mine. You might have heard of her. She's kind of a big deal. Her name is Gwyneth Paltrow. You may know Gwyneth from her many movie roles. She won an Oscar and a Golden Globe in 1999 for her role in Shakespeare in Love. And perhaps you're a fan of her lifestyle brand Goop. But how much do you really know about her? 
I hope that after you hear our conversation, you'll see why I wanted her to be one of our first guests on Girl Boss Radio. Brains, beauty, compassion, entrepreneurial spirit, Gwyneth is a woman, mother, businesswoman, who is trying to figure it all out just like the rest of us. So I want to start at the beginning in your childhood. Yes, I was born in L.A. I did elementary school in Los Angeles with first and third grades in New York City because my mom was on Broadway. And then we moved permanently to New York when I started the seventh grade. So I was 11 years old. But my whole childhood, I spent summers at the Williamstown Theater Festival in Massachusetts. What is that? You spent a summer at a festival. How does that work? (laughs) Is it like a day camp? I went to day camp. (laughs) There's this incredible theater festival at Williams College. And my mom was always in like at least one play a summer there. So we would go and rent a house in the Berkshires and we would go. Our day camp was in Pownal, Vermont. It was called Camp Sarsaparilla. Had my first kiss at that camp. I love Vermont. And um, it was really, it was a fantastic way to spend summers. It was just like the air is so clean and it was wonderful. Do you still go back there? I haven't been in a while. I've done plays there too as an adult, but it's been a while. I got to get back up there. So did you always want to be an actress? Yes. When I was little, I always wanted to do it. Again, like I grew up sitting on the floor watching my mother rehearse plays and she was so in her element and she was so feminine and powerful and imaginative and it she just captivated everyone and I was like, wow, that is it, I mean, it was indelible. It was um, so inspiring. And so I wanted to do that. You know, I didn't understand about fame and celebrity culture. I just wanted to do what my mom was doing. What was your first job? My parents always made me have a job. My dad grew up as like a working class Jewish kid in Long Island. And he was concerned, you know, then he went into television and He made money and he was concerned with us not understanding the value of a dollar and not understanding work ethic. So he always made us have jobs. So my first job was I was 12 and I worked, which I don't think is legal. um, (laughs) And I worked at a store called Penny Whistle Toys on Madison Avenue after school. And I stocked toys and I always had a job after school. And then you were an actor? Were there other jobs as part of your development? I worked at a store also on Madison Avenue called Kinder Sport, which was a ski shop. I was a sales girl. That was like about 14. And then I had a break from work. And then I was, when I was 16, I started taking reservations at a restaurant all summer here in uh, Santa Monica. And then I did a lot of restaurant stuff as I tried to start acting and stuff like that. So I was a hostess. And What did you learn from like retail and hospitality and dealing with people that you've taken to other parts of your career? I think that what you learn from hospitality and retail is that people really want to feel seen and respected. And they use those opportunities as kind of a litmus test to see like am I respected out in the world? And so that's why I think you see people get really agitated at restaurants, you know, when their table's not ready or whatever, because they're hearing a deeper message, which is that you're not important. I really learned that communication is really important in terms of how you communicate something, especially if it's not what they want to hear and how implicit, you know, conveying respect is in like a 
mm-hmm. consumer facing business. And like you're a that. great host. I feel <laughs> I've been lucky enough to be hosted at your Thanks. house a couple times and you really do know how to make everybody feel very welcome and acknowledged. And that's a hard thing Thank when there's you. a lot of people around you. So when did you decide to go into acting and what were the first things that you did? Well, I always, as I said, I always wanted to do it. I was always battling my parents to let me do it as a kid and they would never let me. So I did a lot of school plays. And then my dad was actually, he was doing a pilot about a high school and I somehow convinced him to let me have a little part in that. But then that pilot did not get picked up. And then I graduated high school. And that summer, I went to back to the Williamstown Theater Festival, where I had grown up in my summers, to be an apprentice in the theater. And it's great. I mean, they work you to the bone. You're painting sets all night. and you're. But it's really fun. It's like, you know, 17-year-old post-summer summer camp. And I auditioned for a part. They do this beautiful free theater outside every year. And I got a little part in that play. And then a talent manager saw me and approached me after the play and said, you know, I think you really have something. And so I was thrilled. Oh, and before that, actually, when I was in high school, I was at this place where we used to hang out after school and drink coffee and smoke cigarettes called Jackson Hole. And (laughs) this casting director approached me and said, we're looking for like a preppy kind of girl for this part. So I went and I didn't tell my parents and I auditioned for this movie. Did they know who your parents were? No, they just came up to me and I was like, shit, I'm going to get in so much trouble, but I'm going to go do this audition. So I did the audition and I had to write my name down. So I guess they figured out at that point who my parents were. And I remember coming home and my mom came into my room and she had the weirdest look on her face as it was half like furious and half really proud and I was like, oh my God, what is this look? And she said, I just was, you know, called by so-and-so, the casting director. Did you go and audition for a film? And I was like, oh God, I did. I'm sorry. And she was like, well, they want you for a callback. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I did not get the part. But, you know, so it was just sort of gingerly trying to dip my toe into it and little auditions here and there. And then CAA started, they wouldn't represent me, but they were like, well, we'll kind of hip pocket you. That was the phrase. Like, we're not going to sign you, but we'll send you out on some things and see how you do. And then I auditioned for Husbands and Wives, that Woody Allen movie. And um, I got like seven callbacks and it was, it ended up being between me and another actress who got the part and then ended up getting, not doing it. But anyway, but at that point when Woody Allen had called me back like five times. CAA decided to sign me, and then it was sort of off to the races from there. And at some point, you went to college and ended up being a college dropout. When was that? Yes. Yeah, so that was sort of in the midst I love of that all you're this. a dropout. I'm a total dropout. I went to UC Santa Barbara. I actually really loved it, and I was studying art history, and I was kind of taking all the freshman classes as well. But I kept driving to Los Angeles to audition for stuff. And... Um, That summer, I auditioned for a play at Williamstown. I got the play, and I went to go do it. It was Picnic. And my parents were like, what are you doing here? Like, you're not going to call. You're like doing – this is a mess. You have to kind of decide what you're going to do. Are you going to pursue acting or are you going to go to college? Because right now, you're not doing either. And after the dress rehearsal, my father actually said to me, I think you should do this. Like, I don't think you should go back to college, which was so major and so awesome. And so then I – Dropped out, and I started to try to be an actress. What was your time. first significant role? It was a film called Flesh and Bone. It was 
written and directed by a guy named Steve Clovis, who is fantastic. And it was with Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan and James Caan. And I played like this Texas grifter, like a real, like a thief and like a kind of a sociopath. And it was really fun. So the film didn't do very well, but I got like quite a bit of like, oh, the standout performance in this film is this young girl. And that gave me like an amazing platform because then people were like, oh, you know, I because I think there's always an aspect where people think you're the daughter of so-and-so, like, is this nepotism? Are you any good? Um, and I think that was the moment where at least the industry was like, oh, she actually like has talent. Did you ever feel like an imposter or even when you were accepted, have you ever felt like I don't belong here? Like when was it that you accepted, like got confidence to say like, oh, wow, like this is my talent and yeah. I think I felt more like an imposter when I was starting my business, Goop, than, you know, having grown up, like, on the floor watching, you know, this Broadway star sing around the piano and this actor come for dinner, like, and being always around actors. And I – it was so who I was. So I never felt, as an actor, like an imposter. I definitely felt insecure and I definitely felt like – I don't know where I'm going with this, but I never felt like a fish out of water, if that makes sense, or like I don't belong here because I I really had come from it. But Mm -hmm. I definitely felt like an imposter when I was setting up my business and first monetizing it. I think in business it's easy unless you have like the perfect like MBA and like have done consulting at Bain and then like got your first job as like a VP out of college at like some company and then became a founder. It's it's pretty easy to feel like an imposter and I totally relate and feel like that all the time even after like 10 years of, you know, having tried to build businesses. We'll be back in just a minute after a quick word from our partner, Kopari. Jericho, have you heard of Kopari Beauty? No. Well, if you're like me, the shelf space in your bathroom is precious real estate. That is why I'm excited to introduce you to a line of beauty products that is as great at multitasking as you are. Kopari. These are products that moisturize skin and hair, smell great, but without any sulfates, silicones, GMOs, and parabens. Instead, Kopari products are made with 100% organic coconut oil. I love coconut oil. Coconut oil oil is like a dream product. I put it all over my body. You can do oil pulling with it. Do you know about this? There's nothing you can't do. Do you guys know about oil pulling? Yeah. (laughs) You guys. (laughs) I think you're so foreign. In the colonies. (laughs) You guys don't. (laughs) Kopari is great products like coconut sheer oil, which is light and perfect as a facial moisturizer, a coconut balm for intense soothing and smoothing of super dry skin. They have a coconut crush scrub that buffs you beautiful and a coconut body glow that gives you a natural all over shimmer. And of course, their original coconut melt. So say aloha to the best skin and hair of your life with Kopari. Go to koparibeauty.com slash girlboss to get 20% off your order. That's Kopari, K-O-P-A-R-I, beauty.com slash girlboss for 20% off today. We are back with my dear friend Gwyneth Paltrow. You won an Oscar at 26 years old. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. Um, wow, when I think about it now, it's like nuts. Yeah. Uh, what was that like? It was utterly surreal. It was a crazy time. My father and my grandfather were both 
my grandfather was dying actually from cancer and my dad was really pretty sick and he had throat cancer and had gone through this crazy treatment. So in a way, I was already in this weird out-of-body experience dealing with all this family health stuff and then all this, you know, Oscar nomination and all that and the Golden Globe, like it's like a whole season, you know? And I, I sort of felt like, you know, at the time I really feel like I was pulling like my dad and grandpa up and like sort of elevating their spirits and stuff with all of that stuff. But it was nuts. It was totally crazy. You launched Goop in 2008. It's been almost 10 years. <laughs> oh, it's so weird. And it started as a newsletter. Uh-huh. Um, why did you start Goop? Oh, my God. It's so weird. It's like it's such a complicated answer because I had to kind of identify, address, and work through so much stuff, like personal stuff as I started it and as I, you know, it's sort of this weird parallel track where I think that I had really burnt out in acting. I was doing like three movies a year, five movies a year. And I was really questioning, like, is this my calling? Like, am I happy doing this? I felt very, it was weird. And I was like, I felt so grateful that I had this career, but at the same time, I felt like that there was something else that I wanted and I didn't want to give myself permission to do that because I thought like you have it enough, you have this amazing career. And then when I had my daughter, I just stopped and I just did not want to act and I took three years off. I had my son and I was so lucky that I could take three years off and just like sit on the floor with them and breastfeed. And then I was like, I really don't want to go back. I don't, I've lost like my passion for it. And that really gave me an identity crisis because I was like, well, who am I if I'm not that? And especially when you've been someone famous and in the culture and you're like, well, what if I lose all that? Who am I? Am I worth anything? Like it was actually really a very intense period. And then I had this dream of like building some kind of lifestyle something. And because I love to cook, I love to travel and I love to explore new things. And um, I had no idea how I would get there. And so I just sort of started with this very <laughs> naive kind of earnest newsletter. You know, it's so funny, like looking back, I'm like, why? Like, what? Well, how did I, you know? I mean, yeah, I, I ran a fashion business and I'm like, wait, fashion was never my thing, but so like funny. it happened and it was fun. Yeah. When did you know you were onto something with Goop? Because it started out as a simple newsletter and at some point you raised venture capital. Yeah, way later, way okay. later. So there was like six years where I was just creating content and I wasn't monetizing it at all. It sort of just gestated. And, and then I think I realized I was onto something. I was at my friend's house in London and this woman came up to me and she was like, hi, my name's Juliet. And, you know, I work at a VC in San Francisco. And I was like, what is a VC? And <laughs> like, and she was like, oh, you know, we give money to businesses and it's called Kleiner Perkins. And I was like, okay. And she was like, what are you doing with Goop? And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, well, it's great. And I think you're on to something. And like, what is the next iteration of it? And I was like, I really don't know. I know that I would like there to be one, but I don't know what that would be or how I would do it. And she, you know, she's sort of been my godmother this whole time. She put me with a guy named Seb Bishop, who became my first CEO. And we kind of started to formalize the 
company and kind of create strategy around how we were going to monetize. And that was a really long process too, because everything felt like wrong to me. You know, it was like the the days of the flash sale and the days of the subscription shoe business and all that. And I was like, no, 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 no. Not a bad person to run into. What's it like being Gwyneth Paltrow walking into a room full of venture capitalists trying to be taken seriously? It goes like this. So I go into the room and for the first 90 seconds, I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, right? And they're like, oh <laughs> my, my wife, God, my wife loves you. My wife loves you. <laughs> I love the Royal Tenenbaums, whatever. And then about 90 seconds later, I am just getting grilled like anyone else. And actually, it was such a beautiful chapter of my life when I started raising my Series A because it knocked me down so many pegs. I was like, oh, I'm like no one. I'm nothing. Like this is – this shit is real. Like I have to sit here and defend my plan and I have to know like the most granular aspect of my business and be able to defend it. And like the celebrity just completely drains out of the room in two seconds. Like it's irrelevant. It's time to talk about Gwyneth's crew. With friends like Cameron Diaz and Madonna, Gwyneth has quite a strong inner circle. So where does Gwyneth go when she's looking for mentorship? My board about a year ago made me CEO of the company. And I recognized very quickly that there were, it was a really good choice for certain reasons, right? Like founder-led companies tend to outperform non-founder-led companies. You live and breathe your company. It's in your DNA. And it's hard to buy that kind of like passion and focus. But I also was like, shit, there's so much that I don't know. And I need to, A, recognize that there are things that I'm never going to understand. But I need to know that I don't understand them or I don't know them. And what I am capable of learning, I need to learn. So I kind of called up people that I thought might be very helpful. And I didn't know if they would be amenable to like becoming mentors. For example, Brian Chesky has been incredibly He's been amazing to me. He's a force. He's a force. He's so practical. His advice is so well thought out and also like iconoclastic. And he's always thinking about things from different he's very, perspectives. He's, he's very organized in his thought. I've spoken, yeah. been lucky enough to like be on a panel with him he's and was amazing. like, Meep. and he was like, <laughs> let me tell you everything. Um, if you guys don't know, Brian Chesky's one of the co-founders of Airbnb. Yeah. And uh, pretty he's amazing. He's been incredible. Mark Laurie from Jet.com. I love Mark Laurie. I love him too. Yeah. I talked to him almost every day. I don't know if there's anyone that started as many companies and sold them as successfully as Mark Laurie. Like he is such an anomaly and he didn't start building companies until his thirties. He's an e-commerce genius. So he started diapers.com, soap.com, sold that to Amazon and then started jet.com to compete with Amazon and sold it to Walmart. And they just bought mod cloth and bonobos and um, rumors were swirling around them acquiring Birchbox. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting when the founder is not the CEO. I was, and I thought I was blowing it, and then I wasn't the CEO, and then my company went bankrupt, and I don't really know how that equation works, but I am not blaming anybody. <laughs> the fact that Goop has survived, not only survived, but is thriving, is because of Gwyneth. She's the CEO. So why did she choose to take a position? Professionally, it's the most fulfilled and challenged that I've ever been in my life. And 
the past three years, I have learned more than I ever thought possible. Um, it's obviously an incredible amount of responsibility, but you know, I had a million moments where I was like, I can't do this. Uh, how am I going to be able to, you know, because I'm sort of the buck stops with me on everything in every vertical from product development to the P and L to all creative. Like it's a, it's a huge, just like the sheer quantity of stuff that I have to. And then you personally get blasted when somebody doesn't like what you're doing. It's oh yeah. Like not- it's just like, it's, it's really extreme. Like the pressure is really intense. Um, but I wouldn't change anything. And you know, the business has tripled since you've been CEO. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank Congratulations. You. 10 years in, that's like no small feat. Thank you. Thank you. And you are doing content and commerce now. Yes. So you started with pure content recommendations, like editorial opinion on everything. I mean, you can probably tell people what Goop was and what it is today mm-hmm. better than I can. Well, I think, you know, what it was was sort of me aggregating information. And sometimes there's a misconception that like we are giving advice or we're saying, hey, we think you should do this. It's not at all what it is. What it is, is we have this question. So we ask some amazing doctors or experts or whatever. And, and here is the information that we got. So it very much started as like my articulated interests, like my curiosities about like which falafel is the best one or like where do I get a bikini wax in Paris or, you know, the the kind of stuff that you want to know. And then we started making the switch to commerce because of the fact that we were impacting other businesses so significantly. So if we wrote about something that we liked, they would have like a quantifiable, you know, measurable, we would have an impact on the business. So our CRO and president at Girlboss was your chief revenue officer, yes. and she's constantly talking about how with, like, one email you guys could, like, sell more of something for a brand than, like, they've ever seen before, which yeah, was amazing. I think it was incredible because, you know, I think what we had and have is trust. Like, people know that if we're talking about something, we believe in it, we've researched it, we've tried it. And so we get pretty good results and we, and the, one of the best parts is like being able to impact other founders businesses and like help them amplify what they're doing. We started monetizing it with selling issues. They weren't sort of sponsored issues, but it would just be like some slugging on top of the email. And then, um, then we start slowly started going into e-commerce with collaborations. It was a very slow process. And I had a lot of trepidation about like, how are we really going to articulate that what we're doing is contextual commerce? Like we want to do this in a way that nobody's done it. We want for ourselves to understand like, why is it important to buy non-toxic beauty or why is this a better hotel than that hotel. Like, what is the meaning? What is the context? Like, how can we help bring value to people's lives and always articulate what the context is? And so you're designing clothes. You have a beauty line. Tell me all the categories that that Goop is actually creating product in, because I'm not sure everybody knows, because you also curate products from other brands. Right. So we have eponymous product in apparel, skin, and wellness right now, and fragrance. There's been a lot said about how unregulated the cosmetics industry is. And, you know, we are extremely passionate about not selling toxic product or anything that will disrupt a woman's endocrine system or that has carcinogens in it. And um, 
And so our chief merchant who runs, you know, she came in and really like articulated what that platform is and our multi-brand beauty and our own beauty. It's a really robust part of the business. I think people, we've done that really well. And with fragrance, you know, there's no natural fragrance that I could find that wasn't just like sort of patchouli oil. You know, we wanted to create something really sophisticated and beautiful. So that's been really fun to do too. These fragrance houses in France are making all of these layered scents with all these different mm-hmm. ingredients. And it's like, well, why can't we have that but clean? Yeah. Like why? What kind of stuff is in most fragrances? Well, it's synthetic fragrance. They can put anything in it. They don't have to disclose it because it's like their proprietary secret. And I try to never buy anything that says fragrance listed as an ingredient because it's like a Trojan horse. They can put anything in there and not tell you what it is. Wow. What kind of crazy ass advice have people given you when you've been building your company? Like what is the most like inane advice that you've gotten and ignored? I don't know that it was inane advice, but a lot of people said to me, you're doing too much and like you're not going to succeed because you're doing too many things. And my point was this only works if we're doing everything that we're doing and we're creating a feedback loop of content and commerce and we are in all these different verticals. And now that it's working – People don't say that anymore. They're like, wow, you're doing contextual commerce. Is it (laughs) really hard? It's got to be so complex. It's really complex because all of the teams have to be so integrated. And like if we want to write a story, for example, like if the edit team is like, God, we're really interested in charcoal and we want to write a piece on charcoal, then they call the merch team and they're like, we want to write a piece on charcoal. This is the research we found out. It's detoxifying like this. And then they say, well, let us go find products that could go with the story. And then everyone in the company tries all the charcoal products. And then so it's very integrated like that. And it's also very authentic because it's coming from a place of like, what is charcoal? Why are people drinking charcoal? Like, why is there charcoal soap? And it's really fun. But we have to be very coordinated. And we also have to understand It's also difficult with inventory management, right? Like, is this going to be a story that no one reads? Is this going to be one of those ones that goes viral? Are we going to have enough? Are we not going to have enough? You know. In the past week, Goop made headlines again when a watchdog group accused the brand of making deceptive claims in their marketing of products. I asked Gwyneth if she would talk to me a bit about how she thinks about Goop fitting into the health world, if at all. It's a huge industry, but the sort of difficulty is that you're suggesting that people have autonomy over their health. And some people love that. And some people are like, fuck you, like, just write me a prescription. And and you're challenging like medicine as it is. I think women have always found alternative ways to heal ourselves and experiment with like, what works. I think that it's very true also around women's sexual health and psychological health. I think it's there's something that feels inherently dangerous to people about women completely being autonomous in that way. Uh-oh, women in control of their body? <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> take, it, take it down. <laughs> so how big is your team today? We are, well, it depends if you count our remote team of six in Poland, but we're about 90, including wow. them. Yeah. Wow. So what's it like leading a team that large day to day? So culture is something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. And I think that like you can only scale as much as you have a team that is engaged and happy to be at work. And one of my mentors is the president of CAA. His name is Richard Lovett. He's a really good friend of mine. 
and he's kind of a legendary manager. And I was talking to him one time in one of our chats and he said something that really stuck with me, which was that he said, your culture is your business plan. And I was like, ah, okay. And of course, you also have to have a business plan. But the idea that you can have a good culture and have good, foster good communication could impact your business positively. Like that was the first time that synapse kind of happened for me. And so now it's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. When somebody comes to Goop, we, they get a poster and with our sort of five pillars of communication. And we give them this book that's called The Collaborative Way about speaking straight and listening generously and being for each other and acknowledging and appreciating. So we set up like when, when people walk in, they know what's expected of them and that communication is really important. And I think that a collaborative environment where people come to work and feel like their voice matters and that they can impact the business and they feel appreciated, I don't think that can be underestimated. I mean, obviously, like as you get bigger, I think it'll be interesting to see how we're able to maintain that. What's on the poster? Those tenants. So speak straight, listen generously, be for each other, include and align, acknowledge and appreciate. Those are great. I'll give you a poster. I want a poster. <laughs> I was with the CEO once talking about leading a large team and what's it like. And he said to me, which just scared the shit out of me for the rest of my career <laughs> to this day. When you're in an elevator with two of your employees and you turn to talk to one instead of the other, that says so much to like the team about like who's important and who isn't. Like yeah. everybody's watching and everyone is going to take the words that come out of your mouth through like the most insane magnifying glass you yeah. could imagine. So there's that when you're a CEO, which is largely true. I think it's less true when you have a tiny team because there's this like kind of you're hanging out with yeah. people. And as your team gets larger, you spend less individual time with each person. And so they only get these parts of you to like cling to that become so like loud right. or that's the, that's what they have to like represent you when you're busy and, you know, only have so much time for everybody. So there's that. And then you're going with Paltrow. So do you find that when people join the company, there's like a level of like intimidation or do you have to like remind people that like, hey, I'm really nice and like <laughs> I'm a CEO and I'm not like a CEO and a movie star. And I mean, are some people like in their heads, do you find that they're, you have to kind of like unwind that a little bit to, that's interesting to work with people? I think that, you know, there's always that initial thing. And then I think that it dissipates pretty quickly. And I think, you know, one of the things that's important to me is that the whole team feels very included in what we're doing. Every Tuesday, we have an all hands that I lead for the whole team. And I everybody talks about what they're doing. All of the kind of business leaders come up and report in. And then every quarter, we have a big town hall after the board meeting where I take everybody through the board deck. And so I think those things make people understand that they are integral parts of the business and how it functions. And so I think, you know, when you feel included, you stop making a hierarchy. 
You know, I, I mean, of course, there's always going to be in a business and in, in a corporate environment, right? There always is that inherent hierarchy, but I don't think it feels like that. Yeah. When there's good communication, you're not searching for clues. Exactly. People don't, there's no mystery. It's like everybody knows where they stand. Everybody knows what's happening in the business. Everybody knows what their targets are, what their KPIs are. Everybody knows how important it is to work as a team. And, you know, of course, like, problems arise or people don't get along, like things happen. But for the most part, I think because we all focus on inclusion in this way, like it's a pretty happy environment. It's no secret that Goop has been the butt of quite a few of the media's jokes with headlines such as Goop, she did it again. And no Gwyneth, women should not put jade eggs in their vaginas. Or last month, a doctor gives Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop an examination. It's funny. It's like we've had like a couple months where you're almost like, well, this just isn't about us because like we're very clear about what we're doing. We're, we stand behind everything we do. But unfortunately, like people who are critical of us sometimes like get attention for being critical of us or it gives people a platform. And it's, yeah. you know, there are certain days where I had a couple days like over the last three months where I was like, fuck it. Like this is so deeply unfair and I wish that people would actually like read the article or do their homework before they are vitriolic about it, you know, because a lot of times it's just they're not even really addressing like what's on the website. And we encourage discussion and we love the back and forth and we love also different points of view. But when it just becomes like people doing it for attention and it's not even well-researched, like mm -hmm. it starts to feel like yeah, there's not definitely people who have like elevated themselves commenting on what I've done. And I'm, yeah. I'm just like, well, I wrote a book, but like. But at the end of the day, your work stands for itself. Are there learnings that you've had from the flack that you've gotten in yeah, your career? Yeah, and it's never to changed do. the way you do things in any way? Yes. Like what have you, and what would you change? So it's never what I've thought. Like, it's never like, oh, maybe the universe is telling me that I have to, you know, be more protective. It's always been. I want to crawl in a hole, so. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Interview other people. We need you. <laughs> um, in my case, it has been all, all of the lessons, as painful of, as some of them, have been about my, up until that point, lack of willingness to step into who I am and to energetically back off or so like going into a hole is exactly the opposite of the lesson. The lesson is to energetically cultivate. Fuck you. So stop pussyfooting. Exactly. Do you believe in balance? I believe in the lifelong pursuit of balance. I don't think that it's all that achievable sure, all the for time. The stars and the fallout <laughs> might be pretty good. Right? <laughs> right. So what's next? We're recruiting a CTO, a CMO. We have, I mean, honestly, like tech has always been the biggest friction point for us. And I'm really ready to, I mean, we basically like dare people to buy anything off goop.com right now. It's so <laughs> clunky and like the UX is so fucked up and well, we will get there. We will get there. We just have a lot, you know, we, we, 35% of our readers are international and we don't ship internationally. We have a lot to do. We have a lot of video production to do. We want to work on a TV show. Ooh. Yeah. So we want to watch that show. Oh, thanks. On Girlboss Radio, we're hoping to reimagine the traditional definition of success and explore other examples. What does it mean to Gwyneth? Success to me is really like relationships that function really well, where 
there's like a beautiful feedback loop between people. And that, I mean, I think without relationships of quality, you are not a successful person. So if you don't have a good relationship with your partner, your children, your best friends, then I think it's very hard to claim success. And it's also free and it also makes life feel full and rich and happy. Like the quality of your relationships dictate so much how your life feels. So for me, that's the number one. Have you ever fucked up a relationship and had to fix it? Oh my God. You're really busy. That has to happen all I've the time. I've fucked up so many relationships. So many. I'm actually a a pretty good friend and a good sister and a daughter and a mother, but I am at my potentially most vulnerable and fucked up in the romantic slice of the pie. So it's taken me a lot of a lot of work to get to the place where I have a good romantic relationship. So Brad Pitt, if you're listening, I fucked that up. We've learned. (laughs) Okay. Last question. And something that I ask everybody who comes on the podcast, we have this thing called girl boss moments. What's the moment in your week where you have felt uh, recently like you were in control of your life and and it can be personal or professional, uh, a moment that you're proud of for Hmm. yourself? God, that's a really good question. You know, it's small, but I think, you know, my kids go back to school on Monday. And when I have those moments where I'm like, fuck, yeah, I did order the school books and I did, you know, get the lunch thing squared away. And I did like sign the health waiver and like my employees are happy this week. And you know what I mean? And you feel like I kind of am surviving all this stuff right now. And I didn't fuck anything up. So I just pulled it off this week. Yeah. Yeah, Like I really try to recognize those moments where I'm like, oh my God, I, I kind of pulled it off this week. Cause that's like a big deal. Cause there are so many weeks where I don't. That alone in life, it can be so hard to find those moments. Last question. Cause you mentioned falafels. Where (laughs) is the best falafel? My favorite falafel is a place called Taim in New York in the West village. It's a tiny little hole in the wall. And it's this Israeli falafel place. My mouth is now literally watering. Cool. I'm hungry too. We've been having coffee burn holes in our stomachs for an hour now. (laughs) Thanks for listening to another episode of Girl Boss Radio. Next week, we're going to talk to my good friend, Kelly Mullins-Brown. Please share Girl Boss Radio with your friends and remember to subscribe. Sharing is caring. You can follow Girl Boss Radio at Girl Boss Radio on Instagram or sign up to the girlboss.com newsletter at girlboss.com. Join us next week for more Girl Boss Radio.